Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution, and UHMS accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com, Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for making us a part of your day today here on Top Docs Radio. I'm C.W. Hall, your host. Very pleased to have a couple of gentlemen with me today in the studio who are not only experienced and uh, accomplished businessmen, but uh, they are gentlemen who have gone through the journey of cancer diagnosis and treatment and come out the other side as survivors, and I would say looking at you both, thrivers on that end. Um, so uh, we'll just get right down to it because our time always seems to fly by real quickly here once we get onto the show. So first, I'll have a gentleman on who's been with us on one of our shows before talking about Safari Club International. That's Dick Cal- Welcome to be here. Pleasure to be here, Charlie. Thank you. Nice to have you. And a colleague of his, Dan Dobson, um, you're the CEO of a company here locally called Mastermind Marketing, and uh, you two are our cancer survivor as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah, very glad to have you here. So we'll we'll get right down to uh, talking a little bit about your stories. Um, you know, both of you have some things in common, maybe a little bit different sources of cancer as far as where they were affecting you, but some similarities in terms of your overall experiences. So we'll kind of get into that. Uh, take me through for you, Dick. We'll start with you. Tell me a little bit about your experience. You're a couple years out now from having learned that you had prostate cancer and going through that that experience. So, you know, start with, uh, you know, from the top, you know, basically when you went to your doctor one day, what took you there and, and tell me about, you know, when you learned you had, had uh, prostate cancer and we'll, we'll kind of go into it from there. Yeah. Well, first of all, I always kept myself in great health all my life. Never smoked, watched my diet, work out a lot, uh, very active, flying around the world or whatever. And I have an exec- had an executive physical every year, and my PSA started to ramp a little bit. I always have a PSA check. You know, I'm a male over 50, so mm-hmm. that's one of the things that you do. We saw a little positive trend line up. My, my, my general practitioner said, let's, let's take a further look at that. We had uh, went in and had a urologist uh, do an examination on me, and he said, Let, let's, let's, take, let's go a little bit further. I don't like what I feel, you know, okay. they do, you know, where that is done. Right. And we decided to do a biopsy, which is no fun at all, but I I go ahead and elected to do that. And I remember remember when I walked back in his office, this is at Emory, when I walked back in his office, I remember the look on his face, I knew that it was not good, you know, and he said, we have a troubling, you know, result from your your lab. Mm -hmm. And I found out that I had had prostate cancer and a very aggressive strain of prostate cancer. And so, you know, it's, I've been do a lot of life-threatening experiences in my life, but when you hit with the big CA, you have it. It changes your life forever that moment. Well, what was that moment like for you when you, you know, you found out, yes, in fact, I mean, obviously you had some inkling that, you know, the, the news might be troubling, but I mean, when it's confirmed, yes, in fact, this is your situation, I mean, what was that moment like for well, you? Well, I'd already done some study in anticipation of that based on what I thought might happen. I was ready. And the gentleman, the doctor, spent about an hour and a half with me answering the questions and trying to calm me down, basically. I'll always remember that. He spent a lot of time with me. And he gave me options, and I asked, do I have 30 days to make a decision? Because the therapy, there are about 10 different therapies. Right. And in prostate cancer, it's, it's sort of unique for disease states because the, the patient typically selects the mode of therapy. Yep, that's right. 
And I, I took a look at the negative outcomes and all the data, did, did more study and talked to people. A couple of friends of mine had had prostate cancer. One had had surgery, one had had radiation. And I, I asked about the, uh, you know, their current situation, had they, had they resolved. Uh, their negative outcomes, what were the side effects of each, right. and how were they feeling, long story short. They didn't help. They didn't help me a lot because both were doing pretty well. But their stage of cancer, their aggressive nature, was not the same as mine. I see. So I had to make some some decisions. That that Christmas holidays was really unique, uh, having to spend time with family, letting family know that I that I did have this and that we were going to be aggressive to address it. Well, you know, and I just I have a hard time even imagining myself, you know, learning you know, that kind of news. So, you know, kudos to you for going through that experience and, and coming out the other side. Take me back a little bit when you're talking about um, you were visiting with your primary care physician over time and you were doing your PSA test. At what point, you know, age-wise, did you start doing your PSA exams? I think these types of pieces of information are real important for our listeners to be thinking about. I, I think there's a lot of controversy in the industry right now about PSA because you get some false negatives and some false positives. Mm-hmm. And I think, it's, I think you should definitely have the PSA blood drawn and PSA test. And if there's an indication, you have it checked further. Right. That's not a yes or a no or a definite. You could have BPH, which is a benign prostate enlargement. Right. It's a guy thing. We all have this. When you get about 50 or older, some, some people younger, you have that those kinds of problems. Right. All my friends now, I'm beating them up if they don't have the PSA checked on their physicals. Now, were your numbers, were they significantly out of whack, or were they ones that were just mildly elevated over what was normally expected? Well, the, expected? the trend, you look at the trend, and you, you have a ba- I started the baseline at about 50 years of age. Okay. And then we watched it every year, and, and when it ramped up like 30% increase over a year, then that's an indication there's something happening. It may be cancer, may be a bad lab result. You know, that happens every now and then. Right. And it could be just an l- enlarged prostate. And so then that, that's when, you know, at that point when you'd had that significant or, you know, no, more significant rise over a relatively short period of time, that's when they said, okay, we need to go in more in advance. Now, uh, when, when with your, you know, elevated PSA, were they also doing the digital exam at the same time? I would assume so. Well, yeah, yeah, they did. But I, I went to a urologist. My GP is, is a generalist. Right. And he's a great doc, but he's a generalist. Right. I went to a specific urologist. That's what he does for a living. Yeah. And let him do the physical exam and look at my PSA, you know, the changes over time, the graph. And then when he did the physical exam, he said, we need to go further and check. He, he knows. And then I did, we had the biopsy done. Now, but with the, uh, with the digital exam part of that, did they, were they initially normal and then kind of corresponding with that more elevated rise in your PSA? Did they find it? Or, you know, I'm kind of trying to tie those two together, and at least in terms of for the listener out there, how the, valuable the, li- they're both the literature are. will confuse you if you read more and more literature. Uh, some would say that an elevated PSA, you may not be able to do, a, do a, a, an exam and feel the difference. Okay. This gentleman happened to feel the difference. Right away. It, right away. Okay. But it, didn't, it, it doesn't always happen. And he elected to do the, 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 the sampling, which is, which is a, a type of surgery. Now, was the, was the surgery or, 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 you know, the minor surgery where they went into the biopsy, was that an outpatient type of thing? Or what was that like for it, you? It was an outpatient. It's no fun, but it was outpatient. Yeah, I, I spent like three quarters of a day 
at the facility until you you're going to have a little bleeding, et cetera. And it was painful, but not not you had to do it. It's one of those things you have to do. Right. So okay. So now we've gone through our process. We've we've found out yes, in fact, we do have a cancer. And now the news has come that it's you know an aggressive one. Can you talk about the you know talk a little bit about the the type of cancer in terms of what they called it or or the stage that they they described it with? I was I had I had cancer in all four quadrants. I mean they they have specifics. They have slides. They have core. They cut cores. They have a needle that takes a core out of the prostate mm-hmm. without getting too graphic, but that's what you have to do. And then by section of the prostate, they can tell you how, what the density of the cancer and the type of cell. And, and I have pictures of my cancer. And I had a stage 2B, okay, which is pretty all four quadrants, and one quadrant was very aggressive. And if I hadn't done anything, I would not be sitting here, basically. So I had to be aggressive. How... You know, how much time, you know, when you were talking, to, can I have 30 days? I mean, did they talk to you about, we don't advise going much more than that? Was that kind of the situation? Yeah, I, I said, I want the holidays. I want to, you know, I knew already the outcome and the possible therapies available to me. So I said, okay, do I have 30 days to make a decision? He said, sure, you can do that. I'm going in in, in pretty good shape now, okay, knowing that. And he knows all of that other than having a prostate with a problem. And I took the 30 days and did all the research I could possibly do. I called John Gaston. I called everybody, you know, Sloan Kettering, MD Anderson, talked to a lot of physicians that I know and those facilities and did a lot of research. Well, you know, I can only imagine, you know, what it was like trying to decide, you know, do I do surgery? Do I do radiation? Was there, you know, a kind of a... Uh, you know, because like, like you described, each one comes with its own set of problems, uh, potential problems anyway. Right. Um, you know, was there kind of an overriding thought that kind of guided your choice, which way you ended up deciding to go? Well, it's, it's sort of a guy thing mentally. Right. Uh, if they take the prostate out, there are always issues with potential incontinence. Right. And if they don't do nerve sparing, leave some of the nerves around the prostate, then you have you, you may have some some issues. Uh, erectile dysfunction. Erectile dysfunction, et cetera. Yeah. If, right. if they don't put the urethra back in place, which goes through the middle of the prostate, then you have your urine leaking it through the bladder. So I, I didn't want any of that. So I thought, okay, let's try to leave it intact anatomically, and let's use radiation and hormone treatment. That was a major decision. Now, along with that, there are some downsides with that as well. Nothing is perfect in life. Right. And I was looking at the odds in the literature. Right. And talking to the clinicians. And and so for you, when you talk to your friends, they both said, ah, oh, we're doing great and this is great, but uh, – this is my this is my situation. So <laughs> you were kind of feeling like six one ways, half dozen the other. Right. I can only imagine how challenging that choice must be. We're talking with Dick Calouette about his experience with prostate cancer. Now, so we we set for our, uh, around a month or so, thinking about what we're going to do. We did a lot of research, and now determined that you're going to go through radiation therapy as kind of the primary mover, if you will, in terms of uh, your, your, your cancer treatment. What was that experience like in terms of, you know, the, how much time did that take and what was the, you know, what was that process like for you once you started? Yeah, going I figured, into treatment? And, I, and I'm still working. I'm, I'm working, you know, 75 hours a week at that point, And the company was great in allowing me to do whatever I needed to do. They knew my value ethic there. And I remember telling them that, and I've got this situation I'm going to address. I'm going to be aggressive with it. But, and if I can't be, if I can't perform under all these conditions and I'm going in never having been through it, I'll let you know. And I'll take a leave of absence or whatever. And I, I decided to do a certain, 
certain route, complex compound therapy, hormone shot initially, that shuts the cancer growth down Im- immediately mm-hmm. by lowering the testosterone level in your body. Uh, and my, my testosterone level was a little higher for my age, and nobody knows what causes prostate cancer. There, there are indicators, there are points of interest and facts, but nobody knows what causes it. Right. And so they gave me a hormone shot, and it was interesting. It lasts for about six months. And they said, expect hot flashes like a woman for a few months. And I, I went, no, no, not me. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You're kicking the covers out. I, I have an empathy with the ladies in the audience now. <laughs> <laughs> what a unique experience. Yes. Yeah, I, I call it unique. Anyway, uh, after about a month, that, that sort of wore off a little bit where I was feeling somewhat normal again. Uh, and, that was, and then they decided to go ahead and, and put the seeds in initially. Okay, and they, it's they're radiation seeds. They implant them in your prostate based on the pattern of the cancer. Now, is that brachytherapy? Is that what they brachytherapy? Call it? Yeah. And I used palladium one hundred and three. They're about the size of a, of a rice grain. I have sixty four of them still in my prostate today. While they're in there, they put four gold markers, so that when they when we start the the external radiation later after I've reduced the radiation effect on my body, they can target the prostate specifically for the radiation. R- really, uh, it's like a gun site. And so once you get the seeds implanted, that they, they, they're they doing this after your hormone therapy has kind of taken about, effect? About a month after the, the hormones, okay. And, and did the hormone therapy, did that actually cause the tumor to shrink, or does that just cause it to just be, stop or stop, slow down stops, growth? Stops growth, I yeah, see. stops growth. Okay. Yeah. And so that's the point at which we start radiation. And so what was that? You you, you got your, your seeds implanted, and I assume that's more or less kind of what you experienced before, uh, you know, a relatively in-and-out kind of procedure in no, terms of no. or you in the hospital for a period I of time. I was in the hospital for a few days. And there's some, there's some side effects to that, but you got to do it. It's just one of those things. You leave the hospital with a Foley catheter because they've been doing stuff in, in the male areas. Right. But, but you got to do it. And then, uh, and I was radioactive. We, we kidded about that because, uh, you know, you can't be near a pregnant woman, near being five, ten feet. You can't, you can't hold young children in your lap because you're radioactive, literally. Wow, that's, I didn't realize that. I wouldn't have thought about that. Now, how long does that stay true? The Palladium 103 seeds, okay, which they implanted, the half-life is about 30 days. So after about 30 days, that's the peak they start, they start, you know, winding down, wearing out. Mm-hmm. There's less radiation. So within two or three months then after that, then you're able to kind of go about life as normal in terms of your contact with people that well, you yeah, care yeah, about. Yeah, you can. And we waited another 45 days for the next series of procedures after the, after the, the seeds. And let's go through that. What, what, what happened after, the, well, after our then, seed implants? It's like, it's like having a second job. You go in and you have, we had 25 sessions, and they're about 10 or 15 minutes a session, and there's no pain involved. You dress, you put a gown on, and they, they actually mark on your, on your abdomen, and they, and they do an x-ray to know exactly where your prostate is, prostate. And then because of the gold markers, they can see it on the x-ray, and they target you, and you lay there for 10 minutes without moving. How hard is that? It is difficult for me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So that's daily? Daily, five days a week, no breaks except on the weekends. Well, that's kind of like what we do in our practice. That's exactly right. Very similar. So now that process goes on how, how, many, how many weeks? Uh, 25 sessions. So 
So five weeks. Five weeks of time, and then were you in addition to your hormone therapy? Was there a chemotherapy of any kind? No, going along no, with it? Just it was decided. Just let's that's that's later on for alternate procedures in case it. My, my cancer had been restricted to the prostate. That's the good thing. If it had got out outside of the prostate into the lymph nodes of the bone, then it's a whole different regime of therapies. Now, how do they determine, you know, for the man who's dealing with prostate cancer, whether you've had some metastasis where it's moved to some other place? Well, we, we did a series of CAT scans. We, we did an MRI with radioactive uh, fluid in my body so they could tell that it had not left the prostate, had not gotten into the bones or to the lymph nodes. And it, it, they'll show up as hot on the screen. I see. So they, did they, there was some sort of a contrast or something like that yes. instilled that would, if it were being taken up by another tumor cell or something like that someplace else, then they would see it. Well, yeah, the cell, the, the tumor cell will, will absorb the radium and it'll show up as a hot spot on the screen. Okay. That's very interesting. Um, so at that, at that point, we know it's not gone anywhere else. How are they determining its progress in terms of its effectiveness of the treatment? Well, uh, at, th at that point, you don't know. This is sort of the protocol that's been established. Once you elect that, you, you go down that. This was a complex, aggressive way to address the cancer. Double doses of, of radiation, one in the prostate and then external, and then you had the hormone to shut it down initially, the growth of the cancer. But you're trying to kill the cancer cells. Right. So we complete our radiation course, and then... How do they monitor you to determine what to do next or, or, or the effectiveness of therapy? Well, they, they just they let you rest a couple of months because the, the multiple doses of radiation, I, I was more tired than I've ever been before, right. unless it was high school football or college football. You know, I, I, was, <laughs> I was tired. And I got tired easier. I noticed that a long day at work, I was really tired. I'd crash, you know. Mm -hmm. In the gym, it would, it would just really kick my you-know-what. So you were continuing to go and try to go through physical activity yes. and trying to stay active. Yes. Which from what I understand, the more you're able to do that, the better you're yes. able to counteract some of those side effects as well as help your your, your progress. But I'm sure that's very challenging when you're yeah. feeling beat. It, so it's just a, just a general just tired. I want to go to sleep or just don't want to move around. Well, you know, at the end of a typical day, you'd be a little tired, but I, I hit the wall, you know, and I'd have trouble getting my, my gear together to go, to go to the gym, but I, you'd discipline after, over time, you know. So we get, we get through our treatment. We're making good progress. Things seem to be progressing very well. Um, I know ultimately you ended up in the care of our practice, which is hyperbaric medicine practice. So, um, you know, what we're treating are patients that end up dealing with some problems that arise where they've had radiation therapy in the past and what those problems are kind of depends on where we have the radiation therapy. So, Take me through that a little bit. I presume that along the way, you know, it looked like things are going pretty well as it relates to your cancer on your follow-ups and so forth. And then at some period after that, several months or, you know, a period of time after you'd had your therapy, you started having some different issues that it, when you went to talk to your doctor about it, they said, well, that's related to uh, radiation therapy. Some patients will develop this. And yeah, it, it started, and I, I was getting much better, I thought. And I was, physically, generally physically, but I was up at a Make-A-Wish Foundation up in Pennsylvania and had a bleeding incident, a dramatic bleeding incident. Uh, and it's, it's sort of interesting when you get up from the, the toilet and have six or seven cups of red blood in the toilet. You know, it gets your attention right away. So this was a bowel movement or with urination? Bowel, bowel, bowel movement. Yeah. And I went to the ER not knowing what this was. And had I known, I should have done more study, you know, the third iteration of study on this. But 
uh, I had radiation proctitis. Uh, the, the radiation, because it goes, the, the, the bowel is right behind the prostate. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult to do external or even the seeds without damaging the bowel. Right. Uh, not knowing what it was and, and me being aggressive, I had a colonoscopy done to check both ends, upper GI and lower GI. And I, we had, I had some damage. I could see the pictures. Right. And I said, okay. And I took anti-inflammatory drugs for a few months, and I just I could not. I told my gastro doc, I can't live like this. I've canceled my trips to Africa, Alaska, et cetera. I, I can't be away where I know there's going to be good medical practice. I almost bled to death twice. So your your major symptom was bleeding. Were you having pain and other symptoms no, along with that? No pain. That's that's what was so unnerving. That is a little unusual. Yes. So you were having some trouble with, with bleeding, and, and you were getting some medication to try to treat that. Were you also dealing, because I know one of the things that we can do for the, the proctopathy that comes along with radiation injury is sometimes they'll use argon plasma laser. Were you you know doing those types of procedures no, to try to control your bleeding? We, we talked about the options, and I read again. I, I read probably too much. I was probably <laughs> too, too up on the situation. That's good and bad. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. You know, what caused my problem was burning, was, was the burn. And yeah. I don't want to go in and cauterize the ends of the cells in my rectum. I don't want you to do that. Right. Let's see if there are other options. And, and I'm, I'm a diver. I'm a scuba diver. That's one of the things I do. I knew about hyperbaric chambers being a, a, a therapy for the bends, nitrogen narcosis. We have bubbles. And I had a friend that was going through it, a couple friends that were going through it with positive results. And I happened to find out that one of the therapies that is designated for radiation burning, which is what I had, was hyperbaric chamber. Mm-hmm. And so you actually then went to your physician and said, hey, I'd like to look into this for myself. I said, let's try this. And I went through it. I wanted him to make the decision, obviously. And he said, I, I approve it. Let's, let's try that. Now, for you, how long had you been dealing with your, with your bleeding episodes before you finally About, about nine it? months, okay. hoping that I would have... About 5% of the patients don't have the level of difficulty that I have, but I had been hammered twice right. with very aggressive therapy. And my body said, you know, I like it, but not that much. So, and and you're right. I mean, your, your description of how long it took before you found us um, is really not unusual. Our practice, you know, one of the large groups that we see are patients that have had radiation therapy in the past, and many of them are just like you. They actually found it themselves, uh, you know, and, and I've talked about this over time as, you know, I've been on a couple of different shows and, and a recent daily two on WSB. And we talked about the fact that why don't, why doesn't my doctor make this recommendation just automatically? And the, the big reason why is because there's just uh, not enough hyperbaric medicine schools out there, at least in terms of, you know, there's 160 medical schools and 30 of them have hyperbaric medicine. So, you didn't go to one of those schools, there's a very good chance you're going to know very little about it because the, the people that end up with this problem, yes, it's not an uncommon in, in the prostate group that have radiation therapy as part of their treatment. 9% of them, based on a very large study that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, 9% of them will, de- will develop and complain of moderate to severe problems disrupting their bowel function. So we know it's a good number of men, but most of them with the treatments they were giving you, uh, particularly, you know, if they're, you know, getting some argon plasma or, or, you know, some enemas and different things that they can do, most of those guys get better. But some of them are like yourself um, that they don't even, even sometimes after they've had the, the laser procedures, for example. So they end up with us. And so for you, when you came in to start talking about hyperbaric medicine therapy, you already had an idea of what it was 
physically to do the treatment. But when you learned about the schedule, because it's kind of like going through radiation, only a little bit longer for each treatment. Right. Um, five days a week, about an hour and a half, two hours to do the treatment. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to take it on another job again to get over this. But I guess for you, it was as you described, you were changing your travel plans. You were really changing moving my your life, life around. Changing my life. Um, it obviously made sense for you from a quality of life perspective to get the, the treatment and, and take advantage of the fact that you have access to it here in town. So for you, what was your experience like going through hyperbaric medicine? Well, it, it was great. Uh, I'm kind of a social person anyway, but uh, I went through the, the uh, eight station up at Kennestone Hospital. And it's like having a second job. You're, you're, we had a two and a half atmospheres, uh, two hours, 100% oxygen. And I sort of did an un- unscientific survey of the people that were in there with me. And we, didn't, we had a full tank, if you call it that, most of the time. But we had three or four or five people. There, there, were, there was another gentleman with a situation, a diagnosis similar to mine. And he had almost died a couple times like I did. And I was there before he got there to start his, his uh, protocol, his 40 sessions. And I saw him get better as I finished my sessions. I saw people get better right in front of me, watching and talking to them as we got ready for the tank and as we left the tank. Uh, and it's to me, I'm a, I'm a very much of a proponent of this therapy. It makes total sense to me to drive 100% oxygen under pressure to the cells. Angiogenesis happens. The body starts recreating new blood vessels and circulation, and you heal. Now, for you, how long ago was your hyperbaric therapy? About three months ago is when I stopped. And what's your experience been like since that time? Has it been very, very close positive? To I, I'm getting back to my, my energy-wise slowly, okay, but uh, I'm, you know, I'm much, much better. Eighty uh, percent change in the bowel movement process. Eighty percent change, and that's that's right in line with what we see with regards to the literature. In fact, it says. Uh, if you get access to HBO within six months, it's about a 90% success rate. After that, it's about an 80, 80% success rate, and that includes people that are like yourself. It's it's not maybe 100% perfect, normal like it was before I had my radiation, but it is significantly improved, as you right. were describing. So right. that's great to know. So you're able to travel. Obviously, you were out of town over the weekend, so you're able to get out and about right. now like you had been somewhat previously. I, I'm, I'm giving myself a couple of months before I go internationally because I had, like to go out into the outdoor spaces where there aren't any hospitals. <laughs> We've been talking with Dick Calluet, a cancer survivor who ended up having a little bit of trouble after radiation therapy. Uh, it's a relatively small group out of the patients that receive radiation therapy. And depending on where you get your radiation, it can be a pretty significant small group of people and I think that's one of the reasons why so few people really are, are, are aware about it from a statistics perspective when you say two to four percent of men with prostate cancer will have problems with the bladder after it that doesn't sound like very many people but when you start talking about 233,000 men a year diagnosed that's a lot of people um, so we're very pleased that you were able to find access and actually ended up uh, in in the care uh, of our particular practice so I'm very happy to have gotten to know you and and be able to share their story so that hopefully as we start to share this information with the community, someone out there, maybe before they get to nine months uh, of dealing with this issue, they might be able to gain access. And that'll bring me to my next guest, Dan Dobson. And you two are a cancer survivor. Thanks for being here with us to tell us uh, a little bit about your experience with cancer. My pleasure. So, you know, you, you weren't a prostate cancer patient. You had tonsillar cancer. Tonsil cancer, exactly. Now, now that was how many years ago? 
That was 2011. So take me through your experience. What what happened for you? That what what took you to the doctor to to find it, and and we'll go from there. Interestingly, uh, head and neck cancers of men in their 40s and 50s happen quite often, and uh, I didn't ever know that. And but like Dick, I always went in for regular uh, uh, checkups, and I had been in for my uh, annual physical. And about two or three weeks later, I was reaching with my tongue over to the side of my mouth, and I couldn't reach as far. So I looked in my mouth, and my tonsil was gigantic and inflamed and red. Well, I thought, well, it might be time to finally have to get my tonsils out. Mm -hmm. So I went in to, to see my doctor, and initially they thought it might be just a virus, so they gave me a prescription, an antibiotic, but unfortunately, they also gave me a, uh, a, a course of prednisone, which is not good for cancer. So uh, a week later, I came back in, and it hadn't changed at all. So they referred me to get a biopsy on it. And I'm like, a biopsy? What, what are you talking about? I work out. I'm in great shape. I just had a great physical. And they said, you got to go get a biopsy. So I went and had it done. And like a day later, they call me up and they said, hey, you got cancer. And it, it hits you like a ton of bricks because all this stuff goes through your mind like, what? That couldn't <laughs> be right. And then you start thinking about your family and, you know, how, one of the worst parts about it is uh, is the worry that you cause other people, I think. Right. You know, I, I can make it through about anything, I think, from a mental standpoint and a physical standpoint, but... You know how you affect other people is is hard. Now, when you were getting your results, did you were you able to have? You know, did you have somebody with you? Were you there with the doctor by yourself or on the yeah, phone? Yeah, I just went by myself and you know found out about it. Then I had to let people know about it. So uh, that wasn't that wasn't one of my favorite activities ever. But uh, it, it was one of those things where I absolutely started doing research and tried to find out what the best course of action was. Luckily, I caught it at a stage zero, uh, but head and neck cancers are so dangerous because people with throat cancer, they don't feel any effects whatsoever until it gets to stage four, stage five, and that's really a dangerous time. So I was lucky I caught it early, so I went in and met with a surgeon, and I had options of doing uh, surgery and seeing if they could get it and get it with clear enough margins, a radical tonsillectomy, and and or do uh, radiation slash chemotherapy. And if they could get the, get the tumor out with, uh, with surgery and have clear enough margins, and margins are the area around right. the tumor, uh, then I wouldn't need to go through radiation or chemotherapy. And what they would do is just take out a couple of lymph nodes to make sure that it wasn't there in the surgical procedure. Well, I went into surgery, and they started taking it out, and they could they knew they weren't going to get clear enough margins. So they called uh, my uh, my person that was there with me, and and she said, uh, "Yeah, go ahead and take it out, but don't do the, you know, don't do the lymph node part of it since he's going to have to do radiation." So I was glad that uh, my Maria was there with me, and uh, she uh, let me know when I got out of surgery because they had said, hey, sometimes when we do the lymph node, 
taking those out, you have a problem with your shoulder. And I'm a I'm a, a pretty big golfer, so I was kind of worried about that at the time. Right. So as soon as I woke up, I'm going like this, and I go, <laughs> "Wow, I'm moving my arm." So when they go into to try to get the lymph nodes, I guess they can get in around. They can a hit nerve. a nerve, right? Yeah. Exactly. So unfortunately, they let me know I'm just going to have to go through radiation, mm. and then I had to go through a whole another uh, stage of research of, well, wait a minute. If they got it all and they just didn't, who who made up the margins? Why are what, yeah. what, why are the ask margins? You about, was is, it just because the the shape mm-hmm. of it, where it had grown in terms of your 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 soft tissue anatomy, is that what kept them from being able to well, successfully get a good margin around it? Well, you can only take out so much right. tissue before yeah. you start to, you know, get into some problem areas. So they took out as much as they could, but the area of uh, of tissue that didn't have any cancerous cells wasn't big enough and the problem with that is if it's not if they don't have the clear enough margins they don't know if the cancer spread to other areas and or you know since it's microscopic they can't be sure now we're did you do any kind of non or you know non-invasive kind of mri type studies like like dick described where they did some contrast and you know tried to see absolutely if it had- yeah they they had to do uh CT scans, and I still have to have those every year, and they did them every six months after my course of radiation, and they did it all throughout the radiation where you take a dye and, uh, you know, they they put you under a scanner and they look and see if they see any kind of cancerous uh, activity, Mm -hmm. and thank goodness they have not since since that time. Uh, Interestingly, I'm allergic to that that dye I found out. <laughs> of course. You know, so <laughs> so I have to go through all this protocol every time I do it. And it's not it's not the life and death kind of allergy, which some people have, but my hands, my palms of my hands and the bottom of my feet peel. I mean, like just really thick layers just peel all the way off. How, qu- how quickly does that occur after you've been Within exposed? a week. Wow. Within a week. Now, it, is it... Uh, you know, goofy question, but is that uncomfortable? When oh, it's really painful. It, <laughs> it is painful. It's like <laughs> what the Indians used to do, do to people <laughs> as, as torture, you know. So wow. uh, it, we found a course now of taking Benadryl and some uh, – and a steroid, believe it or not, still, that that minimizes that, thank goodness. So wow. that's good. But anyway, so I had to decide, okay, am I going to do radiation or not? Mm-hmm. And what are the long-term effects? And nobody could give you a, you know, a, a likelihood of recurrence if you did it or didn't do the radiation. And finally, I talked to a doctor who made sense to me. He said, "Hey, listen, if it was me, I'd do it because you you don't know if it spreads, and once it spreads, it is not it's not a pleasant thing. I mean, you can die. Mm-hmm. And so, you know that." kind of got me over the the edge to do the radiation but when i did the radiation it was in within four weeks of the surgery so you can think about a radical tonsillectomy right which i've had a number of different surgeries and that was one of the most painful surgeries i've ever had you can't escape it it's just right oh yeah Yeah. exactly because it just affects you probably find out how how often you swallow in the course of a day right exactly so one of the therapies that you have after the surgery is you take uh, tongue depressors and you put them in in between your molars and you try to jack your jaw open, you know, so you don't get trismeth, which is like lockjaw. 
and you know you just force them in to try to make your mouth stay open and not continue to close well I did that and everything was fine after surgery and my mouth movement was about like it always was uh unfortunately my friends didn't like that too much but <laughs> <laughs> they were kind of hope, holding yeah, out they, hope exactly that, uh, oh, that, that i that i wouldn't be uh ha- have my commentary run especially on the golf course <laughs> but uh so, you know we ended up then doing the radiation and it got terribly worse hmm. so when you go in for radiation for head and neck cancers they found out by the way that mine was uh hpv uh uh, the cause and HPV is the human papillomavirus, right? And uh, and I I don't know if I pronounce papil- yeah, papilloma, papilloma, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it it you know comes from oral sex and right. things like that. Yeah. You know, you you pick it up. It's far more common than I think many people realize. Oh yeah, um, you know, and it doesn't all manifest into, right. into cancers. So. But it's it's the same same situation that women face with cervical cancer. Same exactly, cause. Yeah. exactly. And interestingly enough, uh, there's now a vaccine for for men uh, when you're in your teens and up to when you're 26 that can prevent that. So I would I got my son to get that that vaccination after I found out that I had it and the thing is it's you get it you get rid of it you get it you get rid of it 80% of the population has it at some point in time that's right so you know I I would highly encourage everybody to get that vaccination who is eligible to get that that's great information I didn't realize that there was a vaccination out there for for men or young men Um, you know in fact we were just talking last week with a couple of physicians that were gynecologic oncology and 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 a urogynecologist and we talked about the vaccination for young women and and the physician was much the same way you know if you don't have an absolute contraindication for doing it um, you know let your fear of this is going to somehow encourage promiscuity go out the window this is something that can literally save your life absolutely Absolutely. because at some point you're going to be married or involved with someone on a serious basis even if you're not a teenager and you're going to be you know, sexually active at exactly. some point. And so even in that context, it can still kill you. So, yeah, yeah. so why not avoid that? So that's, that's very useful information. Yeah, without so, question. so for you, you, you had your radiation therapy. Was your course kind of the same in terms well, of time and that kind of thing? Yeah, it was, uh, mine was, uh, like 33 treatments. And what they do is you go in and they make a mask of your head and you go into the uh, radiation therapy room, and they bolt you down to the table, and then they sh- this shoots radiation in all of the uh, particular areas to ensure that uh, you know the cancer doesn't spread or that there is no cancer. Now, is that a little unnerving? You, you both have been through the experience, but I mean, you're you don't feel anything, Mm-mm. but uh, you know you're you're getting zapped with radiation. I mean, I would think that that's somewhat well, the first one that I did, that it it really was uh, a mental. Uh, it, it, it was mentally tough because you know you shouldn't be in in the line of radiation, yet there you are, you know, uh, voluntarily. Right. So uh, the first one was fine, and then after you get used to it, I could fall asleep on the table. Right. But it only ten fifteen minutes, so I would go at the end of every business day drive over to Emory, get my radiation, then drive back and work a little bit. But 
like Dick, I think if you can maintain your uh, your uh, your habitual things that you do in your life, like working out, I did the same. Even though you have to move down on weights and things like that, I think it helps your mind as much as your body because, it, you know, the positive mental attitude going through these types of things is really what gets you through them. And so you you went through your course of 33 exposures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I guess at that point, is it somewhat similar to what Dick described? You begin to kind of, all right, now we've gone through our prescribed course, so now we'll be in this monitoring mode where we will be doing, you talked about the CT scans with contrast and right. that kind of thing. Right, um, Over a period of time, I guess closer to begin with, first year or two. Right, exactly. And then they start to spread out, um, and so everything's continued to look good as it relates yeah, to absolutely. your cancer. Right. Um, now, you, you ended up, ultimately, I know that, you know, we're, you, we, we talked before the show, you ended up receiving some hyperbaric medicine therapy yourself for some absolutely. challenges. So take me through you know, kind of the timeline when those began to come on and then what you were dealing with and how you ended up, you know, ended up getting hyperbaric medicine therapy. Well, right after uh, the the radiation, at, at, as it was, as I was completing it, uh, that's when I got the trismus again. And I was probably able to open uh, my teeth, my top teeth and my bottom teeth, probably less than an inch. So it was really difficult to eat and uh, eat foods that I liked, and as a result, I wouldn't even like to go out to a restaurant. I wasn't feeling bad, but you just, right. you know, you become self-conscious. So I was trying to do, you know, what I thought was a great therapy, which was the tongue depressors. But then I also even got, the, there was another, and I can't remember the name of the device, but you put it in your mouth and you added weight to it to try to pry your mouth open. Mm. And the therapies just weren't really working and my quality of life when you can't open your mouth you go this is bad you you really don't think of something like that right you know you go okay well cool. you know at least you're alive but i mean right well, you can't eat and you can't do those things that you normally do in your self-conscious it's terrible so we found out about hyperbaric and uh we went to see uh uh a doctor over at Piedmont Hospital who uh, was a big advocate of hyperbaric treatment, and he actually got uh, three chambers in over at Piedmont Hospital. Did your head and neck physician, were they familiar with the hyperbaric medicine? Is that how you kind of came in to know about it? How did you discover the HBO as a treatment for what you were dealing with? Well, we I had looked into different various treatments, and he had mentioned that that could be a possibility. That's good. Uh he wasn't a big advocate of it at first, but uh, Maria m- said, hey, you need to go do this. Right. And, you know, at work, I'm like, That's I don't have time to do this. Two hours, yep. two and a half hours, I got to drive to Piedmont. <laughs> so I said, okay, well, here's what I'll do. I'll just, I'll have one of the hours over my lunch hour so it doesn't feel like I'm out of the office that much. And I'll drive over there, put the gown on, jump in there, watch a movie grab a sandwich on the way back and not miss that much work. And let me just say this. Work is not that important. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, quality of life's important. And and I'm I'm a crazy workaholic, and I, I really love what I do. But uh, it's no fun to do what you do if you're not feeling right or your quality of life isn't there. So 
you know, just put that in perspective when you're considering things like hyperbaric. We're talking with cancer survivors, Dan Dobson and Dick Hallowed. And, and Dan, you know, the things that you're talking about, are, and, and Dick as well, it, you, you describe a situation that the, the, the kind of the crux for me as a you know, physician liaison for our practice, um, you know, my role is to educate patients like yourself. Hopefully, if you're dealing with it, you can hear that this is here and get access to it if you didn't know about it before. And hopefully, um, you know, if, if your doctor isn't familiar with it, he'll have a few minutes to talk about it and kind of get educated uh, such that he could at least turn to you and say, I don't know much about hyperbaric medicine, but it's here. It's supposed to help with radiation. You know, you might want to look into it if you, if you want to go get some treatment. I'll help you do that. Um, you know, that's you know, the reason why I get so passionate about this topic is just like what you all described, and that is you go through the process uh, and the emotional roller coaster that is the journey of cancer treatment and, and you know, just the, I'm sure, the weightlessness you feel when you get told you have cancer. Um, go through all of that experience and come out the other side as a survivor like so many people do. I mean, it's, you know, it's obviously, a, uh, you know, a life-changing event to learn you have cancer and to go through that experience. But, you know, by and large these days, they're pretty effective at treating it, um, at least depending on what the cancer is, um, and they can make it survivable. But I, I get very passionate for the folks such as yourself who now you can't enjoy being a survivor. You, you go, you end up walking around with the thought of, well, at least I'm a survivor. This kind of sucks, but I'm a survivor. I mean, you know, that that doesn't have to be the case for everybody. Now, obviously... Your your outcomes apparently you you got to go through oh, yeah, my, medicine yeah. therapy and I I'm watching you now you're oh yeah I mean my I was able to completely open my mouth again and uh, it really just it really just changed the quality of my life I mean it really did and it and it it made me back to where I feel like I'm back to where I was before all of the uh, cancer issues. It, it is no secret about hyperbaric medicine when I mean, we can't make any bones about it. It's, as you described, it's time-consuming. Um, it takes time and effort to go and get the treatment. There is no question about that. I guess for me, what I want for folks such as yourselves is that you get that choice. And you it's to, not painful. Yeah. That's the thing you got to remember, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, watching a movie a, for two hours. Exactly. Or hour exactly. So it's nothing to be scared of. One thing that that is something to address, too, is you got you got to be forceful with insurance companies too you can't go hey can you do hyperbaric can i do it and they're going to go no that's we don't rec- that's not going to be approved you don't take that answer that's Push right on. for for the majority of patients that are dealing with radiation related problems most of them it's fairly straightforward. So, you know, if you had that issue, that's good for the fact that your physicians were able to be effective in communicating with them. Because if they do that, the medical necessity side of things is hard to question. So right. I'm glad that that. Well, mine that was three through. years ago, so I think it's gotten even better, you know, than, than it has. I think more people realize that the results are there. I'm very pleased that uh, that you both had positive outcomes as a result of both your cancer treatment for your 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 problems that got you there, but then also then when you in, ended up in that small group of people that has trouble after your radiation, that the therapy that's available here widely across our community 
uh, almost every major hospital um, and, and inside the city and then outside in the suburbs as well have hyperbaric medicine programs that are accredited um, by the UHMS. So I'm very pleased that you all had access and you had some positive outcomes. Before we run out of time, did, were there some cancer support groups or support resources along the way, whether it was for information or for just getting together with people that were going through your types of cancer or cancer treatment in general that, that you were able to get access to that helped you along the way? One of the things that I did, as I said before, was the folks at the, in the tank, uh, a couple of them were involved with the same radiation problems that I was having, and other people with other issues. So I knew it was helping me by, by my response, and I saw the other positive impact with other people for other disease states or conditions. Uh, we had a couple of stroke members in there. We had a diabetic that had already lost one limb and was trying to save the other limb, and it got, got, he turned him around in, in about the first 20 sessions. Wound care was part of the issue there. Uh, we had many people that were, you know, it, it may help you heal the wound, but I think there are other issues of a positive nature with the body. So for you, does the, the collegial relationship with the patients that were going through things, that kind of provided some support it and did. some inspiration for you. But, you know, in addition to what you experienced in the practice, were there cancer support groups for patients that are dealing with, you know, either survivor, you know, groups or, or, you know, I'm in cancer treatment of some kind that, that you involved yourself with in the community that, you know, cause if there, if there is something that you found, I mean, many people don't get access or don't take part in those, but so, you know, that may be the case for you, but if you did have involvement with say like prostate cancer coalition or uh, one of those types of organizations out there that are either hospital-based or community-based that helped you or was there anything like that that you guys took, took they're, part in? they're really available i know dan uh there are organizations and groups that are really available i started another project with tbi impact so you were too busy i was i was i was too <laughs> and busy and that's and honestly it's not i i welcome an opportunity to share anything that I've gone through and I have with with several people who have been diagnosed with tonsil cancer head and neck cancers um I I and I think support groups are great I didn't do many support groups I went to a couple and uh but I think just sharing one-on-one with people is that you know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and that it's not really fun at first, I had a, a fraternity brother that was going through, believe it or not, right when I was diagnosed, at the time he was going through uh, chemotherapy and radiation for neck cancer, throat cancer. And uh, so he was a big help. And he said, hey, this is no box of bond bonds. Strap on the headgear and get ready because it's going to be tough. Well, I'm very pleased that uh, both of you have been able to take time to be here with us today. I, I'm always baffled by how quickly the time goes by. So mm -hmm. before we run out of time, just real quickly, I'll give you each a chance to, to share just a passing thought at the end there that you'd really like to drive home to the listener out there, whether it's a doctor or whether it's a, a person such as yourself, that either they themselves are being faced with the uh, cancer uh, journey or, or maybe someone that they care about. Is there something you would say to the audience uh, before we have to jump off? I would say that uh, two issues uh, on cancer recognition, uh, you know, have your physicals, catch it early, and we live in the greatest medical community in the world, the United States. And if you catch it early, you can probably come out of that, you know, whole again. Uh, as far as prostate specifically, there are m modes of, of therapy that you can, you can survive it. 
It may be tough, but you, you come out on the other end. And the hyperbaric chamber, I'm a full proponent of that right now. And I talk to everybody in the world. Get your PSA test. I will not take no for an answer. And there are options for you on the end if you have radiation damage. That's great. And the thing I would say is, uh, unfortunately, men put stuff off and they don't go in and they don't get checked out. And you have to do that. And it's 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 not being a wimp or anything else. You need to go in and get checked. And don't put something off when it's diagnosed because it's only going to get worse. And cancer goes fast. And don't, don't say, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, I got this to do. And next month I'm going to go in and get it fixed. Go get it fixed. Well, that's very great information, and it certainly echoes some of the things that uh, both physicians and some other patients that we visited a long way have uh, shared as well, and that is become educated. You know, yes, you get great information from your physicians, but as you both have experienced along the way, there are sometimes some things that maybe they're not exposed to uh, in their training that's not a detraction on the physician that you're seeing. It's just a fact. Um, so the more educated you can become, obviously there's plenty of information out there on the Internet, um, you know, that that's not necessarily. Really good, but yeah, yeah just yeah. you know, don't be satisfied necessarily, and you know, visit with all the resources that you can, even if it's second opinions and things like that. Um, very, very important for folks, particularly when your quality of life is impacted or it's something so seismic to your life as cancer. So, I want to say to both of you who are busy for professionals uh, in your in your work days, thanks for taking time away from your businesses uh, to be here and share this information and your poignant stories. Um, since you are businessmen and you do have business here in the community. Um, do you have some online presences uh, for your business? I'd be happy to share that with the community and we'll link up with you on our social media and, as well so that they can become familiar with you that way too if, you're, if, if you'd like. Sure. Mastermindmarketing.com is uh, our business. We're an a involvement marketing agency headquartered in Midtown and uh, uh, we're fortunate to have been there for the last 20 years. Very good. With the big thinker on now, the building. Now, you on social media, so, uh, Facebook and Twitter? Absolutely. And you can get the links right from our site. Okay, great. How about you, Dick? Yeah, uh, retired from Baxter Healthcare many, many years, uh, very involved there. Uh, Safari Club International, president-elect for Georgia. And then I'm the Wounded uh, Veterans Event Chairman for Georgia. And I really am getting a lot of reward seeing these vets as they come out from various wars and uh, address their their processes problems so is safari club international on twitter and facebook as well it is and they can get to you by looking up safari club international on the web and then link to you i guess through your social media yeah, sites georgia, that way. georgia chapter safari club yes very good i'll make sure that i'm tied in with both of those organizations as well um, so that folks can uh, learn more about those uh, great companies and uh for everybody out there, if you're not already linked up with us on Twitter for the Top Docs Radio Show, you can find us on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX, Facebook.com slash Top Docs on BRX. Then, of course, if you're looking for more information as it regards to wounds that aren't healing or, in our case today, radiation injuries that you're dealing with that aren't getting better, you certainly Please go to Hyperbaric Medicine, our HBOMDGA.com website. There's great frequently asked questions there. There's uh, a way for you to actually send in questions that you may have and get them answered directly by one of our physicians. Um, numbers to all of our centers. You can find one close to you. So please link up with us there. We're on Facebook and Twitter at uh, HBOMDGA on both Facebook and Twitter there as well. So I uh, want to say thank you very much for making us a part of your day again today. We'll be back same time, same place next Tuesday. Thanks again.